This is the Shift HR Radio Download. My name is Karen Byington, and I'll be your host today. I'm really excited to have you here for our very first episode in a series of podcasts where our mission is to serve as a really valuable resource for HR professionals and business leaders, and really anyone that's interested in great information that's going to empower you to make a positive impact in your workplace. So in our 15-minute podcast episodes, we are going to hear from experts in the area of employment law, social science, and human resources um, to serve as that resource for you. For our very first episode today, we're going to be talking about setting priorities for 2017 and why this year it's really important that training should be at the top of your list. And I have with me the co-founders of Shift HR Compliance Training, Kathleen, Catherine Nook-Freeman and Suzanne Sarah. Welcome, Catherine and Suzanne. Thanks, Karen. Looking forward to it. Excited to be here. Great. So our listeners may not know that you're both employment attorneys um, and you founded your own employment law firm. Maybe I thought you could start um, and tell us a little bit about your journey from <coughs> employment law to co-founding your law firm and starting Shift. Absolutely. So we founded uh, Nook Freeman and Sarah in 2006. Uh, Catherine and I both came from large employment law firms and wanted to, to develop an employment law boutique that focused on high, uh, high impact client service as well as a, a positive focus on culture. And we also wanted to uh, focus on client service that was more proactive than reactive and really partner with our clients to help them pr- proactively um, identify and respond to um, employment law issues. And throughout that journey, we really saw a need for high-quality training. Catherine and a lot of our other attorneys do a lot of live training on employment law issues, and a lot of our clients asked us to recommend a high-quality online training that would complement that. And we scoured the marketplace and unfortunately really weren't able to find something that met our standards. And so using our substantive employment law expertise and partnering with a pioneer in e-learning, we decided that we were going to launch um, shift HR and develop an, an HR online training that would be um, of the standards that we have come to expect and our clients have come to expect to enough Freeman and Sarah. That's great. As someone was just saying the other day, you know, that's so smart. That's so smart <laughs> Thank you. of you to really, you know, figure out what the needs are. And so maybe what are some of the things that you really found were lacking in the training that you were looking at? Well, one of the things we found is we really started to look at trends, and we looked at the EEOC trends and number of complaints filed over the past number of years and, and even decades, and we really questioned why there hadn't been much improvement, because employers have been training their workforces on preventing harassment and discrimination for years and years, and yet in a good year, the EEOC charges were plateauing in terms of the number of complaints filed against employers, and in a bad year, they were rising. So we said, we need to dig deeper with this online training that we're preparing. And yes, you know, even when we cover the preventing harassment and discrimination training modules, we want to go to the under level and really look at the issue of raising unconscious bias awareness. Because oftentimes that unconscious bias is the root of the ultimate harassment and discrimination claims. So the thinking is that if you can uncover the unconscious bias, bring it into um, perspective and help employees figure out tactics to neutralize their unconscious biases and help employers figure out systems and structures they can put in place to help, again, eliminate the unconscious biases, all employers and employees will be better served. So we hired a PhD from Stanford with um, uh, focus on uh, unconscious bias and social psychology, and she really helped us kick it off with 
writing and preparing our modules uh, to address the issues of unconscious bias. We also, since we had all this great experience in advising employers and, and helping keep them compliant with the laws, we were able to incorporate many of these real-life scenarios that managers deal with on an everyday basis and employees deal with, and they're not exaggerated scenarios where employees basically yawn because it's something that's you know far from the truth, um, but they're more nuanced and really more of the gray areas so that we really make this training about the manager and what they can learn and what they can what they can take away. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, in my experience, just in working in different large companies, it's one of the things is people complain about the training because it doesn't really seem mm -hmm. to apply to them. And they don't really think it, it affects anything that they really do. Right, and right. And so if it doesn't seem realistic, they're not really going to pay attention. Exactly. Yeah. Right, so by taking these situations from kind of real-world scenarios within the workplace, they resonate with people. Mm -hmm. And to Catherine's point, by picking scenarios that are more in the gray area, they're actually learning something. I think a lot of people go into online training with the assumption that they know all of the answers and that they're going to come out after an hour without really any additional new knowledge. Mm -hmm. And the great feedback we get about our training is that people feel really engaged and that they really are always learning new things because we have created the scenarios in a way that's very nuanced. Yeah, it's really great. So I hope our listeners will take the time to go and, and check it out on our website, which is um, GetShiftHR. Dot com and um, you can go and see for yourself some examples of these real-life scenarios. Um, but in the meantime, uh, we want to get back to our main topic for today. And I know that you advise a lot of clients both on the law firm side and with all of your um, HR clients that you have at Shift, and you've been helping them kind of set a set of priorities for 2017. So I thought we'd take some of the, the top priorities and have you list them for us. Um, and so what are you telling employees that they really need to focus on in 2017? Well, there, as, as always, there's always, there's a lot to focus on, but we've tried to cut this particular podcast down to three primary areas. And, um, the first really has to do with training because the EEOC within the past year and in, in June of last year passed some, um, guidance that really deviated from their past recommendations and it deviated in the sense that. You know, we, could, we used to be able to get away with telling our clients, for example, that you really want to do this training. If you can't do it every year on preventing harassment and discrimination, do it every other year. Well, now the EEOC, when you look at their guidance, they're talking about multiple times a year that employers need to be providing this prevention of harassment and discrimination training program. And they're really seeming to focus more on having a comprehensive plan uh, with respect to eradicating harassment and discrimination in the workplace. So um, being familiar with the EEOC's current guidance is definitely one of the things that we want our clients to focus on in, in 2017. And why is the training, you know, so important? I mean, companies, I think, know that they've been guided that they have to do it, but what's the real benefit to doing, you know, prevention training? So in our mind, there are a, there are a lot of benefits. Um, obviously, one of our main objectives is that we want to create a better workplace culture. We want to educate employees about being empathetic and being aware of how their words and actions land on others. And so, you know, I think our primary driver is really to build a better workplace culture. But as lawyers, we also look at it from a compliance perspective. And one of the things that can actually protect companies is if they have a robust, comprehensive plan where they are trying to reduce harassment and discrimination in the workplace. And a pivotal part of that plan is doing training. So there's actually been some great case law over the last few years in New Jersey and federally as well, where if you have a comprehensive sexual harassment program as, as a company, which includes 
training, a policy, um, and a real commitment from the top to eradicate harassment and discrimination, that if somebody brings a lawsuit against you for harassment, you actually have an affirmative defense to that claim and potentially can get out of the, the lawsuit at the front of the case. So it's really a multifaceted um, approach in terms of why you know why we're recommending the training is such a good and important u- use of your resources. Right. So really, by following the guidelines and doing the right things and doing the right training, you really can avoid the lawsuits from happening by having good culture. But even if they do arise, you actually have a defense to those those complaints. Mm-hmm. Perfectly exactly. Right. exactly right. Exactly. Right. Well, it's it's so important really to be making sure that you're protecting your company. And as if you're an HR, you know, director and it falls on you to make sure that you are, you know, mm-hmm. setting those standards for your company and that you're doing all the right things. So if something happens, you can show that you're, you're, you know, following all the right, protocols. Right. And it's interesting. You, you said something that made me think of one of the other nuanced parts of our training the EEOC also says it's not enough to just inform your employees and your managers on on what the legal requirements are in preventing harassment and discrimination, but you do have to dig deeper. And one of the things that our, that our training d- does very well intentionally is it tries to increase the empathy of the learner by showing them how remarks may fall on other people, how other, the recipients of these remarks interpret the statements made. Because in my experience as an employment lawyer, and I'm sure many of you listening as HR professionals have seen, most people are decent people, good people. They're not a lot of malicious, mean-spirited people in the workplace. And oftentimes when someone says something that's perceived to be offensive, they don't intend it to be that way. And if they could see how that impacted others and see how others were interpreting it, it would make it much clearer to them and they'd be more sensitized. So that's one thing that we think is really important for employers to keep in mind when you're doing your training, to go above and beyond the legal requirements and try to address those empathy levels. Mm-hmm. Right. For sure. Good. Um, and so beyond training, I, I guess there's other steps that companies need to take to make sure that not only do they have the affirmative defense, but they have uh, are setting the right priorities. Right. Well, one of the other ones that we strongly advocate on an, at least, you know, every other year, but ideally on an annual basis to have your employee handbook reviewed. And for any company that's listening that doesn't actually have an employee handbook, it's critical that you do because tied into this affirmative defense is having a properly drafted um, policy that sets out the expectations with respect to harassment and discrimination in the workplace, and that also includes your investigation process, so that people, so that employees a know what's permitted and what's not, and that b if there is an issue, they know where to elevate it, how to elevate it, and to whom. So you need to ensure that you have a handbook and and ensure that the policy is properly drafted, particularly the anti-harassment and discrimination policy. Um, we also, you know, see that. Things like electronic communications policies, social media policies, all of those things which can actually be implicated with respect to discrimination and harassment, they should be included and they should be updated regularly as well. And we actually like to distribute the uh, anti-harassment discrimination policy oftentimes as part of live training. And um, even when we're doing online training, we like to make sure that the company has that in place. And that's something we check on usually to make sure that that's all part of one comprehensive program at the the organization. And to tie in with what Suzanne was saying, she mentioned revising the social media policy. That's a policy that we're finding employers are modifying every year, if not more often. I mean, for those of you HR professionals, I'm sure you remember way back when, when it used to be phone use policy, and then it was an email policy, and then it's electronic communications policy, and now it's really social media policy, which includes electronic communications and everything else, and it just continues to expand at a really, really rapid 
rate. So it's important to stay ahead of the curve, addressing issues such as harassment and discrimination that may fall under the social media as well. So that's an area we, we think employers definitely need to pay attention to on a, on a regular basis. Right, because if they have an incident occur in the workplace that happens via text message or cell phone use, um, they need to make sure that they have the right language in their policy that they can do the appropriate investigation to remediate mm-hmm. the conduct. Right. And technology in the world is changing so fast that if you're not updating your handbook, you Absolutely. are not covering. I mean, Absolutely. who knew that you'd have to worry about what people are tweeting? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We used to write BlackBerry. Now we have to say, you know, smartphone and tablet mm-hmm. and all that needs to be updated. And if it's not yes. in there and you search the, the device... Uh, and it's potentially not covered by the policy, it just can create legal issues for you that you just you can avoid very easily by modifying the handbook. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Gosh, the world changes so fast. <laughs> you can't keep it up. It does. Yeah. Um, and so what is your third piece of advice for our listeners? Well, one of the areas that we're seeing a lot of attention being given to is that of, um, the, of Title VII's interpretation of uh the sex discrimination, what's prohibited under that statement. So there's a, a there's been a lot of uh, recent case decisions, and there are some pending decisions that everyone's waiting to hear about to see whether, specifically, whether transgender status and sexual orientation are prohibited um, or discrimination on those basis is prohibited under Title VII. So if you're in a state like New Jersey, it's already prohibited under our state law, but there are many states where it's not yet prohibited. I think there are about 19 states that prohibit discrimination on the basis of transgender and or sexual orientation status, but the others are governed by federal law, and that's where the big question mark is. Um, and then tied in with that is the question of um, bathroom use. So there, again, this past summer, there was um, a recent you know, commotion made in North Carolina where North Carolina... Um, basically came down and said that individuals were required to use the bathroom that matched the gender um, of which they were born, even if they identified as a different gender. And so that's working its way. It's it's waiting for the Supreme Court to make a decision on that to see what's required. But the EEOC very clearly takes the position that right now, right here, they view it as transgender individuals have the right to use the bathroom that matches the gender with which they identify, even if that's different from their gender at birth. So what that means is if you as an employer decide you're going to wait to see what the Supreme Court says, in the meantime, you could have complaints filed by individuals with the EEOC. And if the EEOC thought it was a worthwhile enough complaint, the EEOC could file a lawsuit against you as an employer to uh, because that you're because you're not compliant with uh, with their guidance, right? So we're just advising employ- employers to kind of look at the state of the law and just come up with a set of their own best best practices mm-hmm. so that they're prepared when this issue arises in the workplace. Um, a lot of our clients are already in the process of trying to construct um, gender neutral bathrooms so that there's other options. So it's not something that can necessarily be tackled overnight and it's something that everybody should definitely be planning for if they haven't already and it's a really confusing time right now I mean there's a lot of campaign rhetoric and people are saying different things in all different formats and I think it's like you said it's really important to find out what's going on locally I mean because state Mm -hmm. governments are passing laws that are opposed to Mm -hmm. what you know the federal guidelines have been and so you really need to pay close attention right right and it's interesting because it's an area that's really ripe for harassment discrimination claims because 
I've you know spoken to some companies where they said, look, our employees, have, whether they just didn't read it carefully or whether they have lost it over, they're, they're not aware that transgender status is protected under the policies that prohibit harassment and discrimination. So if a new employee comes into the workplace and is transgender and using a bathroom, they've had employees start complaining about it, talking about it, making fun of that individual. And that's the equivalent of making fun of somebody on the basis of their race or their religion or whatever the other case is, because it's just as clearly a protected characteristic under some states. And so those employees are putting themselves in a bad position and putting the employer in a bad position. And so they, everybody needs to really be enlightened in this area to understand what the rights of transgender individuals are so that, um, that they don't inadvertently cross the line. Right. And that's a great point that, that the whole issue of transgender um, protections cover all the topics we just talked about. It needs to be covered in your training. It needs to be added to your policies. And you have to come up with a holistic plan overall. So that's a really important issue for people to focus on this year. And it applies to all the things we've been discussing. Great. We covered a lot of information in a short amount of time. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Um, and there's a lot of tips to take in. So if our listeners want to follow up with you and find out more about, you know, specifically the training that you offer, if they have questions about anything you brought up today, what's the best way for them to reach you? Um, the best way is to either call Shift at 800-790-5030 or um, go to our website and um, you can leave a message for us through the website. Okay. Um, and I think you can email um, info at shiftelt.com? Yes, you can do that as well. Okay. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us today on our very first episode of the Shift HR radio download. We hope you'll join us again. You can find us at getshifthr.com or on iTunes. Take care. Take care.